0: resting due to the episode last night we did have an opportunity to anoint him last night we did request some uh, everyone's prayers and uh, um, he is okay at this point so please keep uh, uh, brother Bev Coates in in your prayers the history of the kings of Israel and Judah is an interesting one to say the least for those of you who were able to attend the uh, youth uh, study, the young adult study that uh, uh, Pastor Davis uh, started this morning. He was he's taking you know, as a group over the course of the five studies, we are taking uh, whoever attends through the narrative of the Bible, and uh, commencing today with basically an overview, along with the the understanding of the Abrahamic covenant. The next one will deal with Deuteronomy through to the end of the kings of Israel and Judah, and the history is one that is plays a strong bearing in scripture and in the history of mankind before the split into the separate kingdoms of Israel and Judah there were four combined kings there was obviously Saul was the first king after Saul's death there was a small split where ish took the kingdom of Israel and David was in Hebron with the kingdom of Judah until God realigned the the kingdoms together under King David in what was the epitome of the the kingdom of Israel. It was the high point of the kingdom of Israel where David reigned for 40 years after the reign of Saul. We come to the time of Solomon. If you turn with me by way of introduction to 1 Kings chapter 11, we come to the time of Solomon often as the Scripture says, one of the wisest men short of Jesus Christ to ever walk this earth. But we know that Solomon, later in life, much later in his life, became sidetracked. We pick it up in verse 1 of First Kings 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Why? Did it have anything to do with their bloodlines? No. Surely they will take away your hearts after their gods. God did not want anyone in his family to to be enticed by other gods. Dropping down to verse 11. Let's pick it up in verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon because you have done this And have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So we know as we proceed through the story. That when upon Solomon's death, Rehoboam became king, and part of the kingdom, most of the kingdom, was wrenched away from Rehoboam. It was given to one of Solomon's generals by the name of Jeroboam, and he offered Jeroboam an opportunity to ha- to ha- have uh, the people that he that were following him be the the, the new the new Israel, where they could uh, everyone all the nations could watch and see what they were doing, and they could be an example. So the, as it split into the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, Israel under Jeroboam, from Jeroboam to King Hoshea, which takes you through most of First Kings and into through the first half of Second Kings, all of the kings of Israel after the split were evil. Every single one was considered an evil king. They eventually fell captive, as we know, to Assyria during Hoshea's reign. Then we come to the other side, to the kingdom of Judah, there were 16 kings from Rehoboam to Josiah and after those after Josiah there were 4 kings which were installed as vassals either by Egypt or Babylon which we know until Judah became captive to Babylon during Zedekiah's reign of these 16 kings there were 3 types turn with me by example to 2nd kings chapter 21 there were 3 types of kings in Judah in Israel, every king was evil. There was not a good king, there was not not a good king, an obedient king for the entire kingdom, split kingdom of Israel. And for those interested in more of the story, feel free to attend the youth, young people and otherwise otherwise engaged uh, young people. If you feel young, come to the study. It's an interesting narrative that we're going to be going through over the course of the feast. 2 Kings 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. We'll get to him a little bit later. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nation of the Lord, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal, and he made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Dropping down to verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides his sin, by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin which he committed, are they not written in a book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Manasseh, Represented one of the eight kings That were the epitome of evil They did evil in the sight of God They just did not not follow God They actually built altars for Baal And instituted foreign worship We come to 2nd Chronicles chapter 25 Let's turn to 2nd Chronicles chapter 25 And see the second group of kings There were six Of the sixteen There were six in this group 2 Kings 25. So, sorry, 2 Chronicles. Thank you for who said that. Thank you. 2 Chronicles 25. Verse 1. We'll pick it up in verse 1. And we'll look in on the king by the name of Amaziah. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His, his mother's name was Jehoiada of Jerusalem. And he did... What was right in the sight of the Lord? He was a good king. The second group of kings is represented here by Amaziah, and there were six of them. They were good, but. They were good, but. And in this case, in Amaziah, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. But not with a loyal heart. Drop down to verse 14. He was good. He followed God for the most part. But as we know, it's not enough to follow God most of the way or almost all the time. We need to follow him at all times. And these kings, these six kings were good, but. Verse 14. Now it was so, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them, and burned incense to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people, which you could not rescue the people from your own hand? Good but. Mostly good, but later in life, he scaled it back and did not follow God all the way. Another example, you can write this down in your notes, Second Chronicles 26, was the King Uzziah. King Uzziah. Good Good but. There was an instance where he burned incense in the temple himself. Sounds good, much like Solomon uh, saving or sorry King Saul when he saved some of the, of the animals that he was told to destroy because the people wanted to sacrifice to God. We can sometimes convince ourselves that I'm only burning incense in the temple, but it was the priest's job. it was not the king's job. Those, that is an example of good but. We can convince ourselves that it makes sense. It seems to follow in line. But you have to read God's word detail by detail and make sure we're in line with every single facet of it. And those kings, Amaziah, Uzziah, were good but. 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18. There were two kings that were after the heart of David. And they were good. No buts. No Axioms, no corollaries, simply good. Hezekiah and Josiah. And we'll read an example of one here in 2 Kings 18. And Notice that how, the, how they are described, how Hezekiah is described differently than Amaziah was described. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. No what's. No, nothing else. But he he had done what was right just as his father David had done. And remember, the whole reason that God stalled on the splitting of the kingdoms was out of respect and his promise to what David had done. And Hezekiah and Josiah, they followed after the steps of David, who we know was a man after God's own heart. The history of the kings of Israel and Judah take us from Saul through to Zedekiah, through most of through most of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings, spanning approximately 466 years. Judah falls under the captivity of Babylon from about 586 to 539 BC, when Persia, under the rule of Cyrus, defeated Babylon and began to allow captives to return to their native homelands to set their lives back up. While they were still captive to the Persians, there was some freedom to be Jews. There was freedom to follow God. In fact, they paid for a lot of the reestablishment of temples. As they were transitioning out of Babylon, returning to their homelands, they did so under the tutelage of a man named Zerubbabel. He was the governor of Judah, which was in, he was installed so by the king of Persia. He was the grandson of the second to last king of Israel, one of those four vassals I had briefly mentioned by the name of Jehoiachin. And he led the first group of Jews back into Jerusalem. There was approximately, the Scripture tells us, There was 42,360 Jews that returned back in this first return to Jerusalem. So let's pick up that story in Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. This is still all by way of introduction to the message that we're going to get to. Ezra chapter 3. Verse 1. And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Joshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. And they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by, by ordinance for each day. Which Pastor Davis walked us through in his offertory message. So they get back, they find out about the law of God, and their immediate reaction is to build an altar. We can't get everything else built, but let's build an altar so we can follow God's law worship and offer offerings and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So they began to worship God through festival keeping. And by extension, of course, Sabbath keeping. Drop down to verse 8. Now in the second month of the second year, so six to seven months later, in the spring, the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God of Jerusalem, Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, so Joshua led the priests. Zerubbabel was the governor, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Joshua then Joshua, with his sons, Cadmiel and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee the workings of the house of God, the son of Hanadad with their sons and the brethren and the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of King of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Six months, six to seven months previous, they kept the Feast of Tabernacles with just an altar. Just, before, just uh, as they finished the, the, uh, the spring holy days, the Passover, they lay the foundation. And there is rejoicing throughout Jerusalem because the foundation of the, temp- of the temple has been laid. And then resistance sets in. Resistance from the outside plagues them and delays the completion of the temple. Chapter 4. Now, when the adversaries of Judah, verse 1, and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were built, were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Asardon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, You may, may, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. But we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building, hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So we have, we have delays, uh, delaying the building of the temple, bowing to pressure from those who are trying to delay the workers from continuing All the way until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, which was in 521 BC. Some 17 or 18 years later, from 539, when they they were first allowed back in, six months later into the second year, they build the foundation, there's rejoicing, and then the building stops for 18 years. Stops. Stops. Just a foundation. Can you imagine? We all live in different areas where new houses are built. Can you imagine... Just a foundation for 18 years and nothing else. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel and Joshua rose up and began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem and the prophets of God who were with them helping them. 18 years later, they finally start to build. Why did they finally start to build? The answer is in the prophecy to Haggai. Please turn there with me. The first two verses of, that we just read in Ezra say that Haggai and Zechariah came along and all of a sudden everybody started to build. That's a really small encapsulation of the prophecies to Haggai, from Haggai. Let's turn to Haggai. Haggai is a name which derives itself from the Hebrew word for festival, which is Hag. Happy Feast, Hag Sameach. Haggai means festival. Appropriate, because his three oracles take place around the Feast of Tabernacles, month six, month seven, and month nine. Pre-feast, feast, post-feast. And he was instrumental in restoring temple worship for Judah. When we arrived here on Wednesday or Thursday what was your reaction to all of the construction? Were you a little disappointed as I was to see this facility incomplete? Did you have to remind yourself not to complain and that we're going to have a good feast anyway? This is the feast of God and this facility is still under construction What were they thinking in their planning? Can you imagine God's thoughts watching his people wait for 18 years for a foundation that they never touched? 18 years, they didn't bother to touch it. These people are working hard to fix this place and serving us at the same time. Judah didn't even want to touch it. The foundation was there, and they walked by it. They were busy building their their mansions. These people are building around us and serving us at the exact same time. I'm sure they wanted to have this done, but planning happens and stuff happens. God's people, the people that should know better, let the foundation just lay there for 18 years. 18 years and nothing was being done. They weren't even wallpapering the wall or, or tearing down the, the uh, kid structure. They were doing nothing. Back in Jerusalem, after making a way of escape for his people to come home and worship him, God watched as his people went year after year, festival season after festival season, and his temple simply remained unfinished. Unfinished. We can see that the folks here are working hard. Those of you who were here last year can see a huge difference. I wasn't here, so I can't speak for that, but I was here in 2007. This room is amazingly different. The hotel rooms are nice and clean and all updated. They've been working hard. God's people didn't touch the temple for 18 years. The foundation lay dormant and untouched, and no one seemed to care. This morning... I would like to examine Haggai's prophecy made up of three different oracles and ask all of us a question that must have been on God's mind back then. Are you satisfied with your temple? Are you satisfied? Have you come as far as you can go? Is your temple perfect? Is it ready for the kingdom of God? Are you satisfied with your temple? When we fall on our knees in prayer, When we examine ourselves, when we look in the mirror, can we confidently tell God that we're done? That this is as good as it's going to get? Are we satisfied? Let's look at what God said to the people of Jerusalem in Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be rebuilt. It is not time yet for us to touch the temple. We've got other things to do. It's, it's been 18 years, and I'm just not feeling it yet. It's, no, no, it's not time. It's not time. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? You're building your house and you don't care about mine? Now thus, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. You're so satisfied with yourselves you're doing nothing for me. And yet while you're completely self, trying to satisfy the self, you're not even happy while you're doing with it. You have all the food you need, yet you're still hungry. You have all the clothes that you need, you're still cold. You have all of your, your houses, and it's, you're not happy enough. And my, te- my temple has lay, been laying here for 18 years, and you haven't even cared to lay a brick. You looked for much, continuing verse 9, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Eternal? Because my house is in ruins. While every one of you runs to his own house. Your house is fine. It is warm. You have a fireplace. You have all that you need. And I don't even have a place to come to my people. I can stand in the middle of a foundation. And that's all I've got. And you can... Come and do your little sacrifices, and you can go home to the comfort of your homes, to your warm beds, to your full fridges, and I've got nothing. Therefore, verse 10, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, and on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. And we see here God's frustration with the delays of his people in writing the ship, and properly devoting themselves to the life God called them to. They had had a life full of servitude. Their life was not their own. It was whatever the Babylonians said it was. And God brought in this foreign nation and blessed them through the Persians. They were miraculously released by non-covenant leaders and allowed to worship their God in their homelands. Being part of the covenant people means putting first things first. And they didn't understand that. God's anger with the people in Haggai's time was in putting first things second. Verse 12 of his first oracle. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke spoke the Eternal's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Eternal. I am with you. I am with you. We've got so much to do, it looks like we're never going to get this finished. That's probably why we didn't even bother to start. But God's message, I'm with you, but get building. Get building and don't stop until you're done. So the Lord, the Eternal stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Eternal, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Eighteen years later, three weeks or so after God first inspired Haggai to start speaking, They finally got the message with some comforting words from God saying, I'm with you. I will be here. I'm a little upset about this. It's been 18 years and I finally had to tell you myself. But they got the message and they started building. Let's take a few minutes on a bit of a sidebar here and define the temple. Why was God so pressing on having his temple built? Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2nd Chronicles chapter 6 we'll pick it up in verse 18 what is a temple what is a temple verse 18 of 2nd Chronicles 6 but will God indeed dwell with men on the earth Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. We're now referring here to when Solomon built the first temple, and this is part of his prayer of dedication to the eternal, his God. Yet, verse 19, regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry of that the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night, toward the place where you said you would put your name. That you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place, and you may hear the supplications of your servant and of your people of Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Let's skip forward to chapter 7. We won't take the time, but you can on your own time. Read through his entire prayer of dedication. We'll we'll pick it up in verse 1, chapter 7. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the the eternal's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire had came down and the glory of the Eternal on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Eternal, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. From the time Israel left Egypt, God provided a physical focal point for His people to relate to a place where God dwells on this earth. We are physical beings, and we need a bit of help. So God created a tabernacle and then transformed that into a temple so his people had a place to focus on where God would dwell on this earth. This provided a place for the priesthood to offer sacrifices. We heard expounded to us in the offertory message that these sacrifices were all part of God's system of teaching that one feeds the other. We give of ourselves to the priesthood, the priesthood, would partake of these sacrifices, not to get fat and and be lazy, but to nourish and get busy doing what they needed to do to nourish the people. And then all of the the sacrifice that the people did to, to do this would be received back with the Word of God. This provided a place for the priesthood to offer sacrifices, for prayers for the people, for incense to burn. We are a finite people. And God, in determining how we were to worship Him, provided a centerpiece around which we worship. What about today? What about today? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for for the eternal and the eternal for the body. And God has both raised up the eternal and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is bought one body with her? For the two he says shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one with one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality, every sin that a man does. Is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. This is obviously touching on the sin that was in the 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 Church of Corinth. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you, that you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought at a price; therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Our bodies are tabernacles for the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Individually, we are temples where God places his Holy Spirit to help us grow, to put on the mind of Christ, to write his law on our hearts. And from this perspective, we all agree that Christ dwells in us, and therefore we are his temples. Much like in Old Testament times, we are not to desecrate where God dwells, This was why so many kings were considered evil, because they desecrated the temple of God. But let's notice something. Let's go back to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians and lay the foundation for the next part, the next point of the message. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, And Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then dropping down to verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined in the same mind and in the same judgment. That doesn't mean every tiny point outside the core that we all have to agree on because we're all in different modes of growth, but we agree on the core. We agree on where we're going. We have the same spirit going to the same kingdom. We're all, when we have our little bits of differences... We're all part of the in, in a part of a growth process. But this was written to the church as a group. We see that in where he said in verse one, two, and three to the church of God. This word ecclesia, this church, is a singular word made up of individuals. So it was to the singular church. A group, a group, singular, of called out ones, plural. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, a single word encapsulating all of the people in the same vein as this word ecclesia, a group, singular, of called out ones, plural, could not speak to you as to spiritual babes, but as to carnal and as to babes in Christ. So his message is to the church as a whole, to the individuals that are part of this body. And we see we don't won't take time to read verses two through eight, but we notice the discussion on unity and disunity, on following individuals that we can read there between verses two through eight. Then verse nine to seventeen. This is the key text I think for the message today. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. He's writing to the church. He doesn't say you are God's buildings. Each of you are God's buildings. He's saying you're the ecclesia and you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, verse 10, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the ecclesia. The group of called out ones. You are the temple, he says. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Yes, we are temples. Our bodies are temples. And that is important. Because in each, within each one of us, the Holy Spirit resides. But as a community, we are also God's building. We are the temple. As well. You are God's building, referring to the group. Others build on the foundation. God, Christ, the apostles, the church, all have a part in building on the foundation. And notice in verse 11, we read there, but let's look at it again. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our foundation. But even a perfect foundation is incomplete. The foundation laid dormant for 18 years, and it was not good enough. Jesus Christ is our foundation. And yet if, if our temples are not finished building, even a perfect foundation like Jesus Christ makes us incomplete because it is not the end of the story. We must finish that temple that is that has, was laying dormant for 18 years. We must finish That work? Is our temple finished? Are we happy with the foundation? Is there work to be done? We build and ready ourselves individually, but not to that end. Readying ourselves individually is not the end of the story. We ready ourselves individually so that the church community we are part of flourishes, so that we can serve others. Are called into it. We have some folks here that raised their hand yesterday that said this was their first feast. Our friends Dan and Gloria Turner. This is their first feast. They are brand new to the faith. Dan is in his 70s and came across God's truths, and they have embraced them within the last year. What if the Windsor congregation was not around with people to welcome them? into a safe place to worship every week with people to call upon, with relation, to build relationships with during the week. What if they were not there for Dan and Gloria? What if they weren't there? They would be different people. The temple is the community. We need each other. This is God's building. He says so here. You are God's building. We are working on individual temples. But we are really just stones that are part of the community being built that is bigger than ourselves. So that as God calls people to this way of life, there is somewhere to attach themselves to. We can't be out there on our own. Some of you, I know you are. We've got folks from Timmins. We've got folks from Nova Scotia that they don't have a whole lot of people to meet with. But we need to welcome them into our community after this feast and keep in touch. Because everyone needs to be hooked to the body. Everyone needs a part of the temple to attach themselves to. Haggai chapter 2. Let's go back to the second oracle of Haggai. verse 1 in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month that happens to be the last day of the feast of the tabernacles the seventh day of the feast before the last great day the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jehoshaphat the high priest and to the remnant of the people so speak to the leaders but speak to the people because they are all one they are all one group saying who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. And how do you see it now? Is there anyone that remembers what a grand temple this was? What does it look like now? In comparison with this, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Eternal, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land. We are all in this together. Governors, high priests, and people, we are all one body. And work, for I am with you. Everybody has a part to play in building the temple. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Here in Canada, in the Church of God International, by virtue of some national nonprofit laws that forced us as an organization not as the organism, the body of Christ, but our little part, our little organization that is part of the body of Christ, the greater body, forced us as an organization to review our bylaws. It has brought the ministry together in ways that we had never worked together before. We have noticed in our discussions that we had simply been an association of congregations under the banner of one organization, but not working together toward any common good. We had congregations in Toronto, we had congregations in Kitchener, Ottawa, London, Western Canada, some folks in Eastern Canada, but no accountability to one another. With a small annual budget that is quite honestly just petty cash for most organizations. Over the course of the next year and beyond, we are developing a more focused vision of working together with a planned budget towards common goals. You'll see this develop over time as the ministry works together and guides our church, directing the board and having goals set to work together on, because there is still work to do. When our Savior comes back, he must find us working. He must find us doing something. And it will take a group effort from all of us to do it. As this develops, we will be working together toward common goals and visions. But it will take all of us to do it. Haggai, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and Zechariah could not build on their own. We all build together. Verse 6, Haggai chapter 2. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former temple, says the Eternal, and in this place I will give peace, says the Eternal. There is only so long that God will allow the building process to go on, individually and collectively. There is only so long before the desire of nations must come. Continuing on in the third oracle, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, a couple of months after the end of the feast, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Eternal. Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment... And with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food. Will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If if one who touches is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. So Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Eternal. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the eternal. Since those days, when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 baths from the press, but there were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands that you did not turn to me. I have been trying to get your attention for 18 years and you have been ignoring me. You haven't been paying attention. You didn't even know it was me doing this to you. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. As we build, corporately, organizationally, But as we build the family of God, I can only speak for CGI. Out of respect for our friends from United, we know they're doing a work as well. And we're all part, eventually, of this greater work. We will all walk into the kingdom of God, not under our corporate banners, but we will walk that holy highway hand-in-hand towards the kingdom of God. But while we are here, we have work to do. Whether it be in Windsor, whether it be in Tyler, whether it be in Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Toronto, Ottawa, London, Burlington, or Kitchener. We all have work to do as part of the temple of God. As we build, we must never regress as Israel did during so many generations. We build, we dig in, we build again. We never regress. We cannot regress. We build together. And because we build together, all of us pouring our efforts into building our communities, we defend it. We defend truth. We defend love. We defend safety. Our, our communities need to be a safe environment for people to come. When people, new people walk in, as Dan and Gloria did, they found a safe place to worship. They found people that loved them. All of our communities need to be safe, where people don't need to fear what others are thinking. We need to stand for truth, because God's law, God's truth, God's way of life is all we have. We defend truth. We defend each other. We defend safety. We defend love. Take note each day on the word of the day over here that Marilyn and Michelle have put together. All have specific meanings because they're all aspects of the community that God expects us to build and maintain. We have today and six more days here to grow. Messages designed by God to make us better. Activities and time to fellowship with one another to draw us together as a family so that when we leave here, we are prepared to go back to our homes, our church communities, and continue the building process. Why? Because next year at Passover, we need to give an account. How has the building been going? Ezra, Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. Let's pick up the story where we've left it off here in Haggai and go back to Ezra. If we leave here and are not encouraged and incited to grow, to build, then we've wasted God's time. Next year at Passover, when we examine ourselves And our communities, we need to give an account of how we did. Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the, the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. So they started, they finally got kicked into action in the second year of Darius, and it took four years to finally build the temple and finish it. Verse 17, and they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams. 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions, and the Levites to their divisions, over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves, all of them were ritually clean, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. We will one day eat together, having been separated from all of the filth that is out there. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them. To strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. The first feast of Passover after the temple was built, even the king of Assyria noticed God's people. There is joy in heaven when the place for God to dwell in is made complete. Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now let's drop down to verse 22 and continue the thought. Then I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it its gates shall not be shut at all by day and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory of the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it. Enter it, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Ultimately, the Lamb is the temple. And we will see that in the new Jerusalem but until then we have a temple to build on opening night we talked about seizing the feast making this feast extraordinary but not for us not for us there's a temple that needs finishing so let's build and not stop until we're done